Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we talk all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform of course you choose to follow us on. And guys, it is late here in the UK, of course we had to stay up really late to watch the US Grand Prix and my oh my did it deliver. It was an incredible fight from lap one to the very final moments where we didn't even have a clue who was going to win the Grand Prix. It was that tight but the Titanic battle between the two F1 Titans in this world championship come to a conclusion and it was won by Red Bull's Max Verstappen by the narrowest of margins to Lewis Hamilton extending his lead now in the championship by I believe it's up to uh, 12 points of course. Lewis Hamilton getting the fastest lap coming in second place, but it was a narrow result, a narrow finish between the two Titans of this F1 Championship. And I tell you what, guys, if the rest of the season is going to be like what we just saw this evening, we are going to be in for one hell of a title finale. But joining me on this episode, as always, is Mr. Courtney Pye, my co-host. Courtney, first of all, how are you doing this evening? You okay? Yeah, doing okay. Um, Obviously, it's been a emotional ride being a Lewis fan but I'm sure we'll be getting stuck into that very soon absolutely and of course uh, with a bit of a different background today and of course a new face to the DNF1 podcast for those of you watching on YouTube we are joined by Courtney's sister and a huge F1 fan as well Chantel Chantel first of all thanks for coming on the show how are you doing this evening yeah not too bad it's been good to watch the race and uh, thank you for inviting me on Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And of course, it's a fitting sort of jumper sash shirt there to match the occasion for the Grand Prix that we're at, always celebrating uh, the US. And, and I'll tell you what, guys, um, just to sort of digress a little bit, I think a lot of people have been sort of mulling over how successful this um, reinvigorated project in the US has been for F1. And I've got to say, given what we saw this weekend, given that it's the first race we've had in the US in the last couple of years, 
it was an incredible spectacle. It, it just seems that America finally found their voice in F1 um, in, in only the way that they know how to. And they put on a real good show today and the fans were absolutely incredible. A lot of them, I imagine, probably went home happy. There was a lot of uh, Red Bull fans from what I could see today. But of course, plenty of Lewis Hamilton fans as well as other fans of other teams as well. But of course, let's get right into the action. Of course, first thing we should start, the battle at the front. Max Verstappen narrowly beating Lewis Hamilton uh, this weekend to win the US Grand Prix. Of course, extending his championship lead and as a result, perhaps sealing a bit of a mental blow, perhaps, uh, towards Lewis Hamilton. Of course, Lewis will no doubt respond. But Courtney, I'm going to come to you first on this one. Given what we saw this weekend off the back of a few races where Mercedes and Hamilton in particular did seem to up their game to a point where perhaps they may have the advantage. How crucial do you think this result was for Max Verstappen today? Yeah, to be honest, my heart sunk a little bit at the end of that race because, you know, something that me and Sharon were talking about, um, I just get a really strong feeling that Max is going to win the next two races because Red Bull are traditionally strong at Mexico and Brazil. So I've got a feeling that by the time we get to Qatar, I believe, after Brazil, Lewis and Mercedes might have quite a bit of a mountain to climb. And I just felt that today's result was going to be vital. So I think the advantage is very much with uh, Max and Red Bull right now. Yeah, absolutely. So it does seem that way based on what we saw this weekend. I mean, the, the American Grand Prix circuit uh, um, at Texas is quite notoriously bumpy. Mercedes themselves, they said on Friday after looking very, very strong, it must be said that they did have to alter the ride height of their cars just to mitigate the bumps and some of the stress that was happening on the car to protect it from further damage. Of course, Mercedes have had reliability issues, particularly with the engine. The last thing they want is more damage to the car. Perhaps that did served to go against them this weekend in terms of their overall pace. But it just felt that we were going to a Grand Prix that Mercedes may have had the edge on Red Bull or what this new trick that they might have had um, in, you know, improving their efficiency, I suppose, with the rear suspension to give them that little bit of extra performance in the straight. For whatever reason, it just didn't go as a lot of people thought. We certainly predicted Lewis Hamilton was the favourite this weekend. Perhaps he was. But um, unfortunately for him, it was not to be. But it was an incredible drive from everybody involved. And um, Chantel, I've got to ask for your thoughts on how the the result really, more than anything else. Um, Obviously, you've been a huge Lewis Hamilton fan for a while now. And this season, there's been so many back and forth. And perhaps there was a time where it seemed that it was Max Verstappen and Red Bull's championship to lose. Despite the fact that he got the result today uh, in incredible fashion, do you still feel that there's plenty of life in this championship for Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes in particular, who have given so much in this second half of the season? I mean, I don't share my brother's cynical worldview. <laughs> well, that's uh, good. I this. love the so positive actually, attitude. <laughs> so actually, I think there are five races left. And, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it play out, haven't we? We've seen it play out where there's an engine failure or where there's a safety car, where there's rain. So... As far as I'm concerned, there are five races and there are a lot of points still at stake with those five races. I'm not giving up hope just yet. I think, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet Lewis in person. So, you know, I feel like I've got that personal connection with him and I'm <laughs> going to really push him to win. Well, I'm certainly hoping that he feels that love and support because, you know, it, it's so strange because it's one of those days where as we were watching the race, 
as a kind of a neutral in this championship fight, if you like, I always felt that when Lewis gets into this situation where he's closing in on someone and clawing the gap back to them, as he was doing in this race, there felt like a sense of inevitability that he was going to get Max Verstappen in this sort of cat and mouse race. He always does. But today, Max was able to find something, probably something that no one else thought was even possible to be able to keep Lewis behind him because... If I'm honest, guys, it it felt like as soon as Lewis got within DRS of Max Verstappen, it felt like he needed one good run going into turn 12 to get that overtake done and get the win. But unfortunately for him, it didn't uh, didn't happen. I mean, do you feel that perhaps Mercedes were a little bit hesitant with strategy today? Do you feel that perhaps they could have pitted a bit sooner to react to Verstappen? Or do you feel that Red Bull took an incredible gamble to stop Max eight laps earlier than Lewis and it paid off for them today on another day where it probably wouldn't have done? I mean, you don't mind if I go first. I mean, personally, I think that there was an increasing crosswind from the sound of things. That seemed to really affect Lewis in the final couple of laps. He lost lost the lap, really, of using DRS. Um, So we can't dismiss that factor in this. And I think either strategy could have worked. It was a 50-50 bet. It was a 50-50 gamble. Didn't pay off for Mercedes this time round. There have been opportunities in the past where it has paid off. I think it was the right call, actually, by Merck to to stay out. Uh, I don't think they had much to lose by staying out. So, yeah, I think it's just you win some, you lose some. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree with you. I felt that Mercedes played the strategy perfectly for Lewis Hamilton. They gave him the opportunity to catch Verstappen. I, I think Lewis put himself in a great position off the start, and I think it was quite evident on the medium tyres that Red Bull and Max Verstappen had the advantage and it was critical for Lewis's race to be ahead of Max at that point, which he did a great job to do so. But as the race went on, it, it did feel like as soon as Max got ahead of Lewis in the pit stops, that Lewis would have that opportunity to overtake Max, but it was going to come at the end. Um, Courtney, do you feel that perhaps Red Bull, obviously taking that incredible gamble to not pick Max early once, but twice in the race, perhaps they had doubts in the back of their mind, perhaps flashbacks of Spain earlier in the season when Mercedes undercut them and, of course, went for the two-stopper um, to Red Bulls one and then Lewis caught Max and beat him. And similar to what Max did to Lewis in France, do you feel that that was on their mind and perhaps why they decided to pit Max as early as they did? Because they probably had a few more laps in him, but they obviously went for the gamble. Yeah, I think even the people at Red Bull thought they'd messed it up because it was looking pretty ominous for them when I was um, sort of final 12 laps. But credit where credit's due... Max did a great shift in that third stint, nursed those tyres, and then he had the, enough grip to hold Lewis off just with a few laps to go. And the lad did a, did a great job, uh, much to the surprise of even the likes of Christian Horner. So I think these are the kind of moments where if Max does go on to become world champion, we're going to look at this race as one of the defining moments in which Max grafted to get the points he needed to go on to become world champion. Yeah, absolutely right. And of course, it's been a few races now before Max Verstappen's last win where perhaps there was a little bit of doubt sitting into his mind. I mean, this season more than others, whilst Max has been very edgy on the radio and a bit punchy here and there, there hasn't really been many signs up until now where I've really felt that he was starting to feel the pressure. I think perhaps in Friday practice when um, Max Verstappen was given Lewis Hamilton the unanimous signal of um, I do not approve of your driving when they were sort of going back and forth with each other uh, in the final sector. It did feel to me that Max might have been feeling the pressure. But, you know, on today, he managed to have so many 
obstacles ahead of him in terms of traffic. He had Lewis Hamilton bearing down on him like a bat out of hell that only Lewis can really do. And it just felt to me that if Max makes one mistake, it then the race is over for him. Lewis will get him. And even if Lewis had caught up to him, what was going to happen if those two were going to go toe-to-toe? It almost felt like there was inevitability about some sort of collision, as we've seen from them a few times already this season. Um, as as hard as it must be to sort of talk about, given, obviously, you know, you, you would have had interest in perhaps Lewis Hamilton getting the win today. Um, how impressed were you with how Max Verstappen dealt with that pressure, Chantel, today? Um, I mean... I would expect someone who gets paid as much as Verstappen gets paid to handle that pressure. You know, he's not second on the grid or second second in the championship for, for no reason. You'd kind of expect him to be able to handle it. I think also, I think his team made some good calls, which put him in a position to really handle the pressure. I mean, let's be honest, he came wheel to wheel with Lewis once throughout the entire race. Uh, and that was at the start when he was quite aggressive. Um but other than that, he didn't really have to race wheel to wheel with Lewis. So he he kind of spent most of the race either just behind or in front of Lewis. So in that sense, I think it was it was more than enough for him to be able to cope with that pressure. I don't think it was necessarily a really pressurized race for, for Verstappen. Obviously, there is longer term pressure, knowing that that win could you know um, ensure that he takes the lead in the championship give him a good bank of points uh, towards the end of the championship. But, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, it's a fantastic drive and, and all those kind of things. Because personally, I don't, I don't think it was. I think it was a good drive from someone who was in the lead and he did well to maintain the lead. Um, but I, I think he had a pretty comfortable race in many respects. No, that's fair enough. I mean, do you think Mercedes perhaps could have done more for Lewis to try and give him more of an opportunity to get Max at the end? Because, of course, he caught uh, Max, but... On the radio, Bono was saying to him, Lewis, don't worry, the last three laps, that is the target, that's where you're going to be. And, you know, historically, Lewis has paid homage to his team and his engineers that have been so good at managing his races to the point where they have shared in his success and in more ways than one have been a huge part of it. Um, Do you feel that perhaps they could have done a bit more for Lewis to try and help get him that win this weekend? Or do you feel that it was just one of those days that Red Bull made the call and they had a driver good enough to pull it off? Yeah, I think it, I think for me personally, it's the, it's the last one. Um, I don't think there was anything more that the team could have done differently. You know, it is it is a massive game of chess, and that's why F1 is so wonderful, isn't it? Because it's all about making moves and responding to moves. And, you know, they made a call, they made a move. It could have paid off, it might not have paid off. In the end, for Red Bull, it paid off and didn't for Mercedes. So, you know, it is a game of chess. There'll be another game of chess in the not not too far future um so we'll see we'll see who comes out on top on that one yeah absolutely right and, and on that subject um we talked about this in the last episode in our preview um we, we were talking about the topic about if Lewis Hamilton was to go on and win this world championship where would that rank compared to his other successes in the past I was of the opinion that this could potentially be his greatest achievement given the opposition he's up against this season. Um, It's like nothing else that we've seen in some regards against someone who's chasing their first championship. Um, How how would you rate it if Lewis was to go on from this position now, where perhaps he might not necessarily be the favourite at this point, um, where would it rank in your all-time Lewis Hamilton F1 championships if he was to go on and win? Making it the eighth title as well, of course. I mean, personally, I think 
I think the fact he's got the titles he had speaks volumes. But I would say one of his best seasons when he was it when was when he was in a McLaren that clearly, clearly was not fit. <laughs> uh, and yet he would constantly drive that car persistently, race in, race out, way beyond the capabilities of that car. And so I think we can, yes, in terms of uh, rivalship, 100% this is up there, isn't it, with the Rosberg kind of rivalship. But if we think about, you know, Lewis's performance and, you know, responding to adversity, I would probably say back his McLaren days and uh, when, when he's in a car that's not, not, he's not able to compete in, but he's still managing to somehow make something of it. I think that speaks volumes of him. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I'm thinking 2012 of those seasons where yeah. he put in a few performances. Of course, he actually won the race in 2012 at Austin, of course, when he hunted mm. down Sebastian Vettel, one of his greatest wins of all time. I think that was number seven on our top 10 list, Courtney, when we did that video. Incidentally, I'll put a card up for anyone who still wants to check that out. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Chantel. It's one of his best wins um, and best seasons. And even though he didn't win the championship, you definitely felt like Fernando Alonso that season in the right car he mm. would have absolutely romped it in the way Sebastian Vettel did. But, you know, that that's F1 for you. Um, Courtney, looking on to the next Grand Prix that we've got coming up, we've got five races left to go. Of course, we're going to Mexico next, a track where we expect Red Bull to be the dominant force and Max Verstappen to be the heavy favourite. But given the twists and turns that we've had this season, the resurgence of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, and today, of course, Max Verstappen getting that performance in and getting that win, which could be crucial, not just for the points tally in the championship, but for perhaps a mental perspective as well. Um, do you feel that Mercedes can carry this momentum over and perhaps try and get uh, a better result there at a track that perhaps Red Bull probably are banking on a victory for? I mean, I think a big factor going into these next couple of races is how effective the tweaks Mercedes have made with this suspension. You know, it's, the news has kind of come about that's caused a bit of a ruckus with Red Bull. We thought you, anyone who's listening has probably seen it on social media and whatnot. There's been a lot of uh, controversy about what Mercedes has been doing with their rear suspension. Um, if, if it's able to be as effective in the next couple of races as it was in Turkey and to an extent here, we could be in for an interesting couple of races. Um, you know, with the, the engine power, I mean, in Brazil, you've got that sort of, it's, it's, it's sort of like a big sweeping left-hand turn, isn't it? As you go up the hill to the, the start-finish straight and you can, you get a lot of slingshotting going on there. So the engine power could be important in Brazil, but it's just those slow speed corners that we see in Mexico and Brazil where I can really see Max and Red Bull really making a difference so it'd be interesting to see how those two factors weigh up but I think the suspension changes that Mercedes have made they're going to have to be quite big in order for Lewis to get an advantage over Max but as Chantel said earlier on in the episode it is anything can happen in this bolt you could have rain you could have reliability issues you could have a race strategy completely screwed up by a safety car so by, by all means, it's not over. But in terms of predicting how each team is going to get on, I do believe that by the time we get to Qatar, I hope I'm wrong, I just have the feeling that Max could have quite a, quite a lead to defend. I hope I'm wrong, but yeah, in, in terms of sheer pace, I think Red Bull have the advantage. I think there's something yeah. to be said here also about potentially the role of Bottas and Perez in, in this 
in this because, I mean, Bottas wasn't around today to mm. put pressure on anybody to form a blockade of any kind, any kind. So, you know, I think we can't dismiss their their role in this in these coming races. Um, we know that there are additional pieces in the game, aren't they? That weren't being a, weren't a, they weren't able to play today. No. But who knows? Who knows? Those next couple of races. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you, Chantel, um, in, in that regard, because, you know, you've mentioned Bottas and Perez, which conveniently we were going to get to actually um, in this next part. And Perez today, whilst he put in a very strong performance, arguably one of his best ones in the season, the fact is he still finished 40 seconds off the race lead. So it just shows how good Lewis and Max have been. They are literally on another planet to everybody else at the moment. And and Perez himself wasn't exactly too far away from being chased after by Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari, who again was in a race of his own today, just in respect to the machinery that he had. Um, it is an interesting point because Bottas, of course, has taken his sixth ICE, which of course gave him that five-place grid penalty rather than the 10-place that we've had before just because they've had so many parts now. And... You know, Bottas, he struggled to get through the traffic early on. He had a lot of issues trying to overtake Sonoda and Stroll when they're all fighting each other. Eventually he got through and then he had that long battle uh, trying to overtake Carlos Sainz. And, you know, he was able to do that. But you do feel, as Chantel pointed out, that perhaps if Bottas didn't have that penalty and was able to take up, say, third or fourth today on the grid where we would have expected him to be, there's every chance that he could have been a factor in the strategy today, which perhaps perhaps prevented Red Bull from taking the early undercut with Max on not just one, but two occasions, which could have given Lewis a bit of breathing space to try and change the strategy to work in their favour. Red Bull today did have Perez to a degree, but even Perez wasn't able to make, uh, they weren't able to make use of Perez in that position. Do you feel, Courtney, that um, in this situation, the one thing Mercedes do have, while she feel Red Bull might have the overall pace advantage and the momentum going into the final races, Mercedes do have the more reliable number two to perhaps um, influence certain strategy calls or affect Red Bull's way of thinking, providing, of course, that Bottas doesn't need to take any more new engine parts, which at this point is almost a flip of a coin, whether he will or not. I mean, the next race in Mexico is going to be probably the best chance Red Bull have of securing a 1-2 for the rest of the season. I mean, you'd expect Sergio Perez to have a little bit more performance in him, given his, his own Grand Prix and that famous stadium section at the end. I mean, if you are if you drive through that section and pretty much the entire crowd are cheering for you, that is going to give you a boost. And as I said before, Red Bull are traditionally strong in this circuit. So if Sergio Perez isn't going to help Red Bull deliver a 1-2 in Mexico, I don't know when he will. So next next weekend, ne- the next race is going to be a vital one for Sergio Perez, no doubt. Yeah, it could well be. I, I don't think we necessarily have to worry about Bottas. I think his form has been very, very good. And, you know, if he didn't have to take the engine penalty, he would have been right up there today, probably finishing in third or at the very least, perhaps trying to help his teammate get the win today. That, that could have proven to be in the factor if Bottas was there. Perhaps Hamilton would have got the job done today. We'll never know, but that's, that's in my opinion, that's kind of where Mercedes, I think they have to kind of lay their eggs in that basket and just hope that the reliability holds out because at the moment, as I said, it's a balancing act. And if Lewis is expected to take an additional power unit, then that could prove to be a bigger problem for Mercedes, which is something they're just going to have to juggle with for the time being. Um, let's move on to Ferrari and McLaren. Um 
this was quite a good day, I think, in terms of that battle, because I think this is the first time this season, in my memory, that all four cars have really been together battling away with each other in the field. And and I say that loosely because what ended up happening was Charles Leclerc ended up getting away from the other three. And after the first few laps, Lando uncharacteristically fell away and just didn't have the pace. Um, I mean, were you surprised by the parity between those two teams going into this race? Did you feel that these two were going to be on top of each other? Well, I think this race has probably been the first real example of the progress that Ferrari have made, particularly with this engine upgrade. I mean, up until a couple of races ago, it looked like McLaren had third place sorted. But now we're seeing the true pace of the, the, this year's Ferrari is capable of. And right now, I feel they have the advantage. Charles Leclerc is finally having an opportunity to showcase how talented he is. You know, the last couple of years, he's sort of been out the picture because he is, in my mind, he's he's capable of being that Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen bracket, let's say. I'm not going to say completely on that level, but he's able to he'd be able to compete with them on a regular basis with the right machinery. Most of us know that's the case. And he just, he just showed today how exceptional he is. And even with Carlos Sainz, Carlos Sainz has been decent for Ferrari all season, but even he was able to compete higher up the grid. It was good to see Dan Ricciardo up there, though. It looks like, you know, his love for, his love for Texas to, gave him, as I said, another boost. Mr. Texas. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Texas. Exactly. Lando Norris, though, he was he had a bit of a quiet race. The last couple of races have been... It's like he hasn't really brushed off what happened in Russia yet. Didn't he, didn't he go off the track quite early on? Yeah, he hasn't been right. He hasn't been, I'd say he hasn't been in top form since Russia. I think he's still got a bit of a hangover from that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, he made that bold move into turn 12 where he tried to overtake Sainz and Ricardo when they tried to sandwich the Ferrari, realising he almost ended up into the side of Leclerc and had to lock his brakes and that obviously sent him wide and that uh, prevented him from making any progress. But uh, you were right, Corny. It was a weird day for Lando. Um, perhaps he is trying to shake off some of that mental rust from Sochi and just get his head back into the game. I mean, he's been incredible this season. I can't really think of many drivers that have done better than Lando this season. Perhaps Max Verstappen probably being the only one um, to a degree and Lewis to some degree as well. Um, but it has been a really good season for both teams. And I think as a Ferrari fan, I think one of the things that I've noticed improved with this car lately is the ERS upgrade that they have. And I think that's something that's been really understated. And I think that's what we're seeing with Ferrari in particular, where they've made progress in that department um, as a way of clawing back some level of power, which they're still lagging behind the likes of Honda and Mercedes. But it's enough to put them in the ballpark and fight McLaren on an evil footing at every circuit that we go to. Um Chantel, I'm quite interested to get your thoughts on this battle between Ferrari and McLaren because, as Courtney's already pointed out, we've seen Lando and Charles Leclerc have dizzying highs this season and then some days where they're not quite there owing to a mistake they've made or a lack of consistency or something's not right on the day, it just happens. And then we've got Ricardo, who's had some incredible highs as well and then has almost been nowhere. Today was more the former. And then Carlos Sainz has just been consistent all the way through. Where do you see this battle going? between these two teams because right now whilst Ferrari are closing in on McLaren it just feels that McLaren just need another big weekend like they did at Monza to kind of separate from Ferrari where do you see this battle going yeah uh, I think McLaren has still got the edge personally 
Um, I think they've got the edge because I feel like both drivers have got a bit more of an edge. Um, I think the Sainz has had an interesting season. Maybe, you know, he's still trying to fit into the team and, and all those kind of things. But I would say I think McLaren have more of an edge as it stands. Um, you know, it's good to see that Ferrari are in some respects catching up, like you've like you've both sort of said. Um but yeah, let's let's just see. I mean, yeah, five races. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And of course, um, you know, Carlos Sainz has been consistent this season. I think he'd have been a bit disappointed today because he was very close to overtaking Ricardo. Of course, the two of them touched. It was one of those moments I think Sainz perhaps could have given Ricardo a bit more room there because it was closing in on him and damaged his car a little bit. And ultimately, not only did he not get past Ricardo, but he ended up losing a place to Bottas at the very end, which I think if it wasn't for that contact, he probably would have at least finished behind Ricardo. But it was a good day for Danny Rick. And uh, it's been a great weekend, to be fair, for Danny Rick. I think what we saw at Texas, as you pointed out, Chantel, it's almost like it was the Daniel Ricciardo show. And we were all just sort of sharing in his joy. You know, he had the special helmet for Dale Earnhardt. Um, he got to drive, of course, the number three car that Dale Earnhardt won a few races in 1984. That, uh, incidentally, of course, um, Zach Brown promised him after winning the Italian Grand Prix, if he'd win a race, he'd get to drive that car. Incredible car collection Zach has, and Daniel lucky enough to drive that around the circuit this weekend. Um, and Zach Brown, I don't know if you guys saw, he got um, a nice he little tattoo, tattoo on his right? arm, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> of the he Monza circuit with the date 12th of September 2021, which begs the question... Has either of you or anyone else listening to this podcast seen if Cyril Abitable, the old um, boss at Renault, got a tattoo after Danny Ricciardo got podium for Renault? Because I remember distinctly he promised quiet. it, but I haven't seen anything. Quiet. No. That's been over a year and we've seen no proof of the tattoo. We'll have to go through the archive on, uh, on Alpine's Insta. We'll have to have a lovely archive check. As far as I'm aware, he still has connections to them because I know the thing with Renault went a bit iffy. I'm not sure if he formally left or not. I can't quite remember. But because um, I know he was heading up the uh, engine powertrain, I think some of it was going on the background where he might have moved on. But I haven't seen a tattoo of any sort. So I'm worried that Cyril might have bottled it a little bit, which would be quite disappointing because I think if you're going to raise the stakes and promise something like that, and Daniel Ricciardo, that seems to be the incentive for him. He does seem to deliver when something like that is on the line or someone's ass is literally on the line in that regard. Um but, I mean, uh, you wouldn't yeah. want to be his team boss, would you? Because no, you know no. you might have to do something you might later regret. In a way, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that episode of The Office where Andy, for those of you familiar, becomes the manager and he needs to raise sales in the store in the office. And obviously to do that, he promises to get a tattoo on his bum, basically, uh, and as an incentive. And they manage to reach the target and he goes and does it. Part of me feels like, is that worth a world championship? probably is depending on which team you're at and perhaps for McLaren if Zach Brown wants to really raise the stakes and go well I'll get a tattoo on my ass with a world title and a honey badger on it if Ricardo wins a world title he's two for two at the moment on delivering on that so you know why not go for broke and raise the stakes it might get the best out of Danny Rick you never know crazy to think that that might be Danny Rick's motivation every time he steps in the car Yes, I need, to, I need to get that tattoo. <laughs> I'm doing this for the tattoo to happen. <laughs> well, that's the thumbnail sorted. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty. I can't think of any way to sort of um, gloss that really. And I'm trying to get the image of Zach Brown's ass out of my head now. So um, moving on, um, let's, <laughs> let's talk a bit about, because um, there, was, there was a few surprise results today. Obviously, um, 
in the race itself, we saw Sebastian Vettel was having quite the battle um, going through the field, starting from the very back of the grid, um, minus, I believe it was Alonso and George Russell, owing to some penalties he had to take uh, for new engine parts, etc. But he managed to fight his way all up into the top 10 today, uh, incidentally because of um, a mistake made by Kimi Raikkonen, where he almost lost it at the end. And uh, how impressive was Sebastian Vettel today? Because he was quite quiet for a while, but he was slowly making his way through until he got into the points, which I must say, for Aston Martin, it's only a point, but that's still a great result considering where they started this race. Sure. I didn't see much coverage of anyone else, really, other than the Ferrari race. Yeah, the Ferrari and McLaren was the main. Um, And then, obviously, the the Lewis and the Verstappen race Mm. up top. And then we saw a little bit of um, Alonso and Kimi tussling. Um, But it was really hard to know, really, how how well he he was doing for the pack because there just wasn't much coverage at all of of the lower end of, of the race. Yeah, he was sort of just running his own race today and mm. it was a little bit out of sync compared to where, how everyone else was going. But towards the end of it, he was right up there with the Alphas and he managed to get Giovinazzi and Kimi just kind of completely lost it. I mean, one driver I suppose we should talk about, um, and I would be interested to get your thoughts on as well on this one, Chantel, is Yuki Tsunoda because yeah. Yuki Tsunoda for a long time, I've really wanted him to do well. And in the last couple of episodes, I've been so frustrated, like a, a frustrated parent when they got their child that is so you know, he's so capable of so much potential, but not because they're lazy, but they're just, whatever it is, they're just not focused on, they're making mistakes or silly things you wouldn't expect of them. And it's a bit like that with Yuki. It's almost as if like some people feel he's not taking his F1 career seriously enough. And then he puts together a performance today where he's fighting Bottas and doing a relatively good job with the machine he's got. And he's in the solid points finish. He's the best of the, literally everybody else outside mm-hmm. the top four teams. Um, what do you make of Yuki Sonoda's season so far, Chantel? Well, I think he's really getting a reputation for himself, isn't he, as as the blocker? Um, <laughs> it's almost like remember we yeah. had the truly train, the truly train, the truly train. It's we almost now it we need to make a, we need to make another version, the Yuki train, the Yuki train. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's getting quite a reputation, isn't they're he? Not, being... They're not, yeah, they're not so bullet train. <laughs> well, those they're move not... at a similar speed, but they're not used to having a Mercedes trying to overtake you, are they? So <laughs> yeah, it's quite appropriate, I mean... actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite impressive, I would say. He, he's able to just stop people from overtaking him. He's not doing much overtaking, from no. what I gather. But no. he's doing a good job of not letting people overtake him. No, and that's so, very true. Yeah, pros and cons. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that to, on a day like today, I think when you look at the four the teams that finished above them, they were all expected to finish above him. So. For that alone, and considering the company he was keeping, where he was relatively comfortable where he was, I'd say that's an incredibly successful day for him. Um, I mean, we should look to the other side of the garage, Pierre Gasly, equally having so much bad luck. And Pierre Gasly is a bit of an enigma this season because on the days where everything's just falling okay for him, he's delivered more often than not. And he's usually a regular in the top six, fighting the likes of Ferrari and McLaren on occasion. Today... More issues with the rear of the car. Uh, I think a few drivers had problems with that. Like Ocon, I think, had similar issues and probably Fernando Alonso as well. So perhaps they just fell victim to the uh, the track conditions and the bumps and everything else. And they just didn't change their car in the same way Mercedes had to, to try and mitigate that. But um, what have you made of Pierre Gassi this season, uh, Chantel? Are you worried that perhaps his talents and his performances are going a little bit unnoticed in the grand scheme of things? I think that's always going to happen, isn't it, when when you end up being in a mid-pack team. And that's part of the frustration of being in a mid-pack team because 
you know, these are all drivers. They're all got, they're all got egos. They're all there because they're the best that there is. Unfortunately, there can only be three top teams and the rest fall into the middle of the pack. And I'm sure that he's fairly frustrated about that, but equally, you know, he's made a career choice. Maybe he's hoping that eventually that will come good and he'll step up into into another car. Um, It is just the frustration that comes with being in an F1 team. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, I might put you on the spot with this one with Pierre Gasly because a lot of what you said, you know, is absolutely spot on with Pierre Gasly in terms that he's in that position. You know, he, he had his issues at Red Bull and of course that's what he signed up for and perhaps he didn't do the best job he could have done. But he's still in that environment where there does seem to be some slimmer of hope somewhere that's keeping him where he is, that perhaps he could make this work for him long term, perhaps go back to Red Bull or something will open up for him. But if you were Pierre Gasly, would you be worrying or would you be concerned with that or would you be trying to make yourself as attractive as possible to other potential suitors, bearing in mind that we are entering into an era now where perhaps some of the top seats in Formula One are going to be secured for at least the next three or four years? Yeah, I think it probably is. And it's it's a hard position to be in, isn't it, when you are able, but, you know, the car isn't, car isn't there. Um, and he's essentially, he's just got to make sure he outperforms his, his teammate um, because that's going to what that's what's going to really demonstrate that, yes, he's got that real talent. So as long as he continues to do that, I think he'll be I think he'll be fine. But whether or not there will be that opening up in in the more competitive teams doesn't look like you said, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Um you know, we've got George, who's now going to Mercedes, who's mass- made a massive jump there in terms of car performance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for Gasly, I-, I imagine, yeah, it's quite a frustrating situation to be in. No, that's fair enough. Um, I want to talk about Fernando Alonso, if I may, today, because he was quite <laughs> a busy boy today, old Nando, and not necessarily <laughs> in the good way either. Um Quite a lot of uh, feisty incidents. I think it's one of those where Fernando Alonso got a little bit riled up and he just thought, you know what, I'm in pure Fernando fashion, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to take this for myself. I don't care. Um, he had that battle with Raikkonen, of course, going into turn one, where he forced Kimi a little bit wide and then Kimi was able to take the place off of him and Fernando was complaining that Raikkonen completed that move off the circuit and should have given the place back. How did you see that one? Do you think that he was right or perhaps Fernando should have, in his own words, leave more the space? I think I think Fernando knows. He is more than experienced enough to know that Kimi did not gain an advantage. Kimi did not gain the advantage here from being pushed wide off the track by him. Uh, Kimi would have been in front of Fernando if he hadn't been pushed off the track. So it's hard to see how he gained an advantage there. Uh, I think it was great, wasn't it, later on when, when the team boss... Oh, yeah, he actually contacted the stewards, didn't he? Well, he was talking he to Michael Massey, didn't he? Um, yeah. And, <laughs> do you know what really I, I thought was weird about this? Was that... Yeah, it's very British. Yeah, yeah, no, well, this, this was it. He was... Because I can't remember his name. It's terrible. I forgot the name because I, I did have it written down somewhere uh, as a note. But obviously the, um, the Alpine... Uh, race engineer if you like I suppose he was talking to Michael Massey who obviously isn't the steward he's the race director Mm -hmm. and he can ask the stewards to look at something if they haven't already but he can't actually make a decision saying oh yeah I agree that should be a penalty or whatever but it was just the way that he was talking to 
Michael Massey about the Giovinazzi incident. And he was saying that, yeah. well, Fernando shouldn't have to give the place back because Kimmy didn't give Fernando the place back. And then Michael Massey just went, okay. And then just moved on. It was like, <laughs> who's the race director here? I'd, I'd li- I like Michael Massey, but I'd want him to just get on and say, well, you know, I'm not the steward. I will ask the stewards to review that and move on. But it was maybe almost like... Maybe give him some tips, Shan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe. I think actually, I think he handled it really well and very politically. He didn't give him a response as he's not really supposed to as a race director at that point in time. Um, I think he handled it really well. I think he diffused the situation effectively. Well, ultimately he did. He just went, okay, and that was it, really. Exactly. It was like, part, exactly. Of me, part, of, part of me would want to see if you had like football referees, for example, get involved. Someone like Mike Dean, for all the football fans out there, he gets it on the radio and he'd just be like, nah. Like, the, you know, you've got 20 guys going around the circuit. I'm not going to be intimidated by you. I'm the star, blah, blah, blah. You're off, whatever. In Mike Dean fashion, for those who watch football know what I'm on about. Something a bit like that. I was just a bit surprised that Michael Massey just took it as like, oh, like some sort of person in an admin job that goes, okay, deal with a complaint. Let's move on. It was such a bizarre move. It was yeah. such a, I mean, yeah. I, think, I think he handled it really well, considering that he's, he is the race director and he has Alpine for some reason wanting to just clarify the rules of him. I mean, they obviously had reasons. But I think that you would just be like, excuse me, I'm just trying to actually be a director of a race right now. <laughs> I mm. don't want to be clarifying what are the rules and what aren't the rules. Just concentrating your team and getting yeah. them to finish the race. It's pettiness, wasn't it? It was yeah, diffusing 100%. pettiness. Well, it, it, it was one of those where I felt like they knew what was coming in terms of the yeah. G- the first year of a Nazi incident where Fernando was well overzealous and uh, should, you know, he obviously we knew he wasn't completing that move on the circuit and he was just trying to make life as annoying, probably because he was still angry about the Kimmy thing as Fernando does. Mm. He just doesn't give, um, I'm not going to finish that because YouTube will ruin this video if I do uh, finish that sentence. But um, in Fernando fashion, we all know what he's like sometimes. He just doesn't care. And yeah, and eventually that's what happened. They got the instruction. He had to give the place back. But then interestingly, of course, um, when he was fighting Giovinazzi again, Giovinazzi was defending off the circuit. Did you think that was a fair penalty as well for Giovinazzi where he had to let Alonso back through? Or did you feel that perhaps because, you know, Alonso was fighting quite aggressively, Gio, like Kimi Raikkonen, was forced wide at turn 12? I think it's the whole thing about consistency again, isn't it? I think there's still there's still a lack of consistency with the stewarding. And that's why... You know, the kind of situation we're just joking about. That's yeah. exactly why these situations occur. And you know what? The funny thing is, we referenced this quite early on in the season, Adam. And they still haven't quite got the consistency right. And it's, and it's a bit weird in a sport like Formula One, which is so reliant on, like, rules. You know, black is black, white is white. And yet still we get this real lack of consistency, which kind of gives the teams, a, like, a... They, they feel like they have a right to make the remarks to the stewards mm. the way they do because they, they sort of have a lack of respect because of the lack of consistency that the stewards are giving. So that's why they're questioning it. So I just think it goes back to that episode we put out months ago. They need to work on the consistency. Of course, human error. I think it's always good to have the human error element in, into sport, I think, because that's actually one of the things that makes a sport an event. You mm. don't want, you won't want it to become completely robotic, but the flip side to that is you're going to open yourself up to this kind of petty behaviour that we saw during the race. Yeah. And also, just to, add, just to add to that, I'm pretty certain that earlier on in the season, um, there was this kind of rule that you weren't allowed to kind of, 
like message stewards and stuff like that, right? Wasn't that that came? I can't remember which race it came. With I think it was the, it was about Toto Wolf, wasn't it? There was a Toto Wolf. Yeah, was talking to them, and then there was a bit of a hoo-ha about that. Yeah, so I think they then brought in extra layers, which was essentially along the lines of you're not allowed to now challenge in a public yeah. kind of forum, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, think I could was... be wrong on that. No, no, I no, I, I, you are right. Uh, I I, th- I can't remember which race it was, but basically they they prohibited the teams and drivers from going to the stewards' offices personally and that if they needed to talk to the stewards they put in the request and then it'd be summoned yeah. afterwards because i think yeah. total wolf did go to the stewards but it was one of those where I, I think you're right they do need to offer a bit more protection mm. um because you're going to get that situation every week i mean especially with christian horner and toto wolf um going at it um incidentally though seeing as we have a, a new guest on the show actually brings me nicely to this next point we always ask this question for our new guests um chantelle Probably not going to be surprised by our answer, but who do you think would win in a charity boxing match, Total Wolf or Christian Horner? That's that. Come on, come on. Is there is no there is no debate. Obviously, Toto. I was just gonna. I was gonna pressure you for an answer there because everyone's suspense like as if they couldn't tell already who you were going to go with. <laughs> um, no, no, fair enough. Um, I mean, I haven't had. I mean, we we were close. I think to having someone favour Christian when we had Bryson on earlier in the week but he then gave a very analytical approach which basically meant that Christian's scrappy but Toto will is the bigger guy and would knock him out yeah. twice. but then th- that's boxing for you know the weight difference is there and I, I agree with that but I'm, I'm do you know you know do you know what would happen though if there was if this fight was to happen mm. and then Toto won I know for a fact that Christian Horner would be like Deontay Wilder coming up with all the excuses coming up with all the excuses and like manipulating the rules yeah we called him the stewards no he had he had an unfair advantage when i was born that way it's not much i can do about that (laughs) yes the gifts that god gave him unfortunately height was not one of them but uh you gotta love christian you gotta love christian he's a he's a fighter i'll give him that much um but yeah, I mean, that's pretty. That pretty much sums it up. Um, of course, you know, we're kind of in this position now where we're heading to the final races of the season. There's so many battles going on, and it just feels like, particularly at the front, we've got a title fight that could go down in history as one of the greatest ones of all time. Um, do you feel that? What do you think? I suppose if you were in either camp, what do you think they would need to do? to make sure that they secure this championship. Not necessarily the constructors, but the drivers themselves. Because right now we've got two titans in Max and Lewis who are driving at the peak of their powers, respectively. And I still can't call it one way or the other. Um, I'm still going to go with my gut, what I said at the start of the season, and that was going to be Max Verstappen would win the championship, but Mercedes would win the constructors. Conveniently, that's where we are at the moment. But for either side, Courtney, what do you think they need to do to secure this championship? Um, I think Red Bull need more from Sergio Perez. I think there is this this ongoing theory. Don't I, I still can't decide whether it's true or not about the development of the car. We're discussing this um, during the race, actually. You know, the, with, with the the rumours that we've heard about um, Red Bull putting a lot more development on Max's car, which could, in theory, kind of explain the gap between the two drivers. But that's been an ongoing thing. There's been no solid proof. So that's just a theory. But Red Bull do need more from Sergio Perez. And I think Mercedes, they've made improvements. But I think they they need to somehow find a little bit more a little bit more pace in those slow-speed corners. Easier said than done. But 
Red Bull clearly have an advantage in certain tracks. Whereas this seems that this season it's like they're either close or Red Bull have a real advantage. I don't think we've actually had too many occasions this season where Mercedes have had a real advantage. The way we've seen over the last few years, I think Mercedes have actually done well throughout the course of the season to catch up because they were seriously behind Austria. Austria, like Max Stappen's form was ominous in that double header. They've done well to come back, but generally speaking, I don't think they've been in control too many times this season. And they need to find a way to hit back. And, you know, because it's clear, because I've mentioned it several times already, I'm very concerned as a Lewis and Mercedes fan, I'm very much concerned about the next couple of races. And I just hope that Mercedes unlock more of that potential that we have actually seen the last couple of races. If they unlock more somehow, the next couple of races could be juicy. Yeah, very much so. It does seem to be a case of how much more performance can Mercedes unlock from their car. They always seem to be learning more from that car all the time, which is astounding given that most teams feel like they understand their car after a few races and yet Mercedes will turn up to the last race of the season and they find, oh, we found another half a second out of nowhere. Like, how? It's been there the whole time. It's like it's like unwrapping a Christmas present. You get one after the other until eventually, you know, oh, this is amazing. Um, Chantel, from Mercedes' perspective, what do you think they need to do to try and win this championship for Lewis Hamilton? Because it feels like they've reached this, a point where they have found something. But on a day like today, it could knock their confidence and feel like we've hit them with everything and yet somehow we've still come up short. What do you think they need to do to try and win this for Lewis? They just need reliability. They just need to ensure that they are on that podium every single race. That's all they can do, really. I mean, as long as their car is racing, as long as it's fighting and competing against the Red Bull, that's all they, that's all they can really ask for. So I know they're going to have concerns given that Bottas is now on another engine. Lewis took an engine last race. You know, they don't want another engine failure because that is it. That is probably going to be game up. So reliability for them is is the big one. Yeah, very much could be. Um, I just want to go a bit, little bit sideways with this one before we move on to the star ratings, which is obviously the towards the end of the episode. Um, what I found really interesting this weekend was a lot of the sort of the performances in the show that was going on in the US. And of course, there's been a lot of news about Miami obviously hosting a race next season there were representatives there from the committee that wants to have a race in Las Vegas there does seem to be a huge driver now based on what we saw today and what we've seen the last seven or eight years since we've been going to Texas that more races in the US is a good thing um first of all Chantel I mean are you looking forward to F1 going to Miami and in addition to that do you feel that F1 needs to have more races in America or do you feel that perhaps two or three is enough well, we were discussing this earlier, actually, weren't we, during the race? And I'm saying, actually, yeah, it'd be really good to race in Miami. Uh, bring a bit of a different feel compared to Texas. Um, but I think just just comment on, commenting on what Lewis had said while he was on the podium about how it's great to have more races here. He seemed to be possibly hinting uh, that that is the direction that the sport's going in. Personally, I would find that a little bit sad, I think, I think the fact that Formula One is such a global sport is one of the draws for it. Um, and I would I'd be a bit disheartened if it became an American centralised sport, um, personally. Yeah, no, it's very, very true. I mean, F1 is a global sport. 
I think for a lot of European audiences, including us, I think we've been so used to, whilst F1 being named a world championship, it's very much been a Eurocentric sport. Um, we've had races, of course, in Asia. We've had races in the Oceania region, like Australia, for example, and even in the Middle East in the most recent years. We, we They are trying to branch into Africa. Kailami in South Africa has been mentioned quite a lot, and I think would be a great place to have a Formula One race again, as it did in the early 90s, for those that remember that period. And um, America, particularly Northern America, I think we've had races in Central America and Mexico and South America and Brazil. Argentina, for example, have had a few races there as well. It just feels like North America, other than Canada, we haven't really had much of an interest in Formula One in America since the uh, Indianapolis days. And of course, the fast that fell upon us in 2005, for those that remember that race, which kind of killed the momentum, I suppose, for F1 races in America. But there's always been an interest there. And I've I feel that whilst I'm definitely on board with the idea of having at least two races in the US, because I think given the market and the niche that's there, I think two races is more than enough in a way that you can have a European Grand Prix in the same country as a national Grand Prix as we've had in the past. I just feel that if free, perhaps um, somewhere like Vegas is a one-off thing, fair enough, but I don't want to get into the habit where F1 becomes too Americanized, because whilst I feel like American input is needed in Formula One and the fan base, as we saw this weekend, 400,000 people mm. turning all over the country. You know, I have friends in America that have turned up from all over the place just to go to Texas, and it makes sense to have another Grand Prix somewhere else for them. Uh, it just feels like they, there is too much of something. It's never a good thing. Mm. Um, and I don't want the sport to become totally Americanized, but I do feel that there's scope there to try and find that right balance. Hopefully they find it. They're definitely looking to pursue other avenues. And if they do have an F1 race in Vegas, as I said before, F1 stag dudes are going to become a commercial thing. I just feel like there's a niche there for it. And uh, you'd be silly not to. For both genders, of course, or, or all specified genders, I suppose, depending on, you know, I'm not an expert on who gets married and what, so don't cancel me. But um, yeah, yeah, so just yeah. To add one last part, um, I think the important thing is going forward, you know, it's, it is supposed to be a world championship. So it's good that, you know, said different continents have been are going to be encouraged to take part in the championship more. But I think it's also important to, if we're going to add more races in America, for example, I think we've got to make sure that we look after the, the traditional circuits, which are actually like a spine and the culture of Formula One. So you look at your Spas, Monzas, Silverstones. As much as I hate the race itself, you've got Monaco, for example. We have to be keeping the spine of the calendar intact. Those races cannot suffer because you want to have one country monopolising the calendar, if that makes sense. Mm. And this is it, really, because you need to find that balance logistically so that you're not having too many races in the year, which at the moment it seems like we're perilling towards the upper end of that. And at the same time, you need to keep the races on that everybody wants to see. And unfortunately, you're going to have to find a compromise where not everybody's going to be happy, but... At the moment, I feel like most of the races that we have are ones I'd love to see year in, year out. I mean, for example, you know, they're, they're talking about having a third race in America. We haven't even had a second one yet. And yet we still don't have a German Grand Prix on the calendar, which Maybe I find incredibly strange given the backing that it's had. But F1 kind of moves with the times of where the market currently is at the moment. And given that whilst Germany do love their racing and love Formula One, um, they don't really have a massive interest or investment in the because of the fact that their best driver at the moment in the sport is currently languishing in the midfield in an Aston Martin temporarily, and who knows how long that's going to last for. I mean, Mercedes as a brand is 
German by nature, but is very much a British-run organisation at the moment, at least the Formula One aspects of it, not necessarily the partnership with Daimler, which does continue to have that German influence, but that's kind of where it stops almost. Um, let's move on at to the... At least they have yeah. drivers. I mean, there yes. are no American drivers. Not yet, at least, so, anyway. But, um, so there, in terms of yeah. interest, I mean, what what is the American interest here? I, I think it's like they, they do have a, a passion for motorsport. Okay. And it's just, I just think, well, we, as Adam has said earlier on, it's Formula One is primarily European, and I'd say Japanese. The Japanese, have, like you heard, get Japanese super fans of Formula One. So there's a full Japanese and European interest, but in, in the States, they're more interested in IndyCar, NASCAR yeah. examples. I think they're trying to sort of take elements of the, the race weekends in those sports and sort of add Formula One to that. So it's like a cultural shift because of Liberty Media. Yeah. But I just think it's important that Formula One doesn't lose its own own culture whilst trying to bring in new audiences, if that makes sense. Well, ultimately, it's going to go where the audiences are. And, you know, with respect to IndyCar and NASCAR, who have their own standalone events, which bring incredible numbers in America, not necessarily on a global scale. The Indy 500 is a great example of how an American racing event brings in fans from all over the world and not and just shows off the best of American racing at its finest because everyone loves the Indy 500. I always watch it because it's just such a unique and fun event to watch. But we saw this weekend and what we saw today with the American fans that Formula One still carries that unique appeal that you just can't recapture anywhere else in motorsport. It's the pinnacle of motorsport and American fans recognize that. And they turned out in their droves today, 400,000 of them over the course of the weekend. I mean, that rivals practically any other circuit in the world and probably trumps it. I think Silverson's probably the next one after that, and that's incredible numbers. So F1 is certainly going where the market is, and by those numbers, if they want to have another race in America, be it Miami where they're going, or Vegas, or Glen Watkins, or somewhere else, then that's where Formula 1's going to go, because that's the way the world is, unfortunately. It, it just goes where the people want it to go. Um, but look, let's move on to the final part of the episode. Now, Chantel, obviously, for your benefit, we do star ratings now, which is basically a rip-off of a few other podcasts that have done something similar. But the, the general aspect of it is we rate every driver's weekends on a star rating out of five. We include qualifying and the race as well. So, of course, five stars being the highest if you think they did the absolute maximum and exceptional job. And you can even give half a star or zero stars if, stars if you think they were absolutely dreadful. I don't think Courtney and I have given anyone zero stars yet because, um, but we're generous. If you want to, because they turned up that weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Even then that's usually worth half a star. Sometimes they have to do something really yeah, ludicrous. Surely Charles Leclerc should not get as many mark, as many stars based on the fact that he nearly didn't make it. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> this is it, isn't it? Yeah. He ended up in New York. So yeah. There was a there so was that, an opportunity. For for that. Yeah, there was an opportunity for a remake of Home Alone Two with Charles Leclerc in there, but just it wasn't Christmas, unfortunately. We were kind of a few months too early, so maybe we have to revisit that in the winter break. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely right. We, we we had a few black and white flags as well today. I almost forgot about that. I think mm, it was four three, of them. Wasn't it? I thought it was. Oh yeah. Three. Yeah, I can't remember who the fourth one was. I'm sure there was four. I know Mazepin got one. Oh, God only yeah, knows what Raikkonen got one. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, who else? Wait. Stroll. Stroll got yeah, one. Yeah, Stroll got one, yeah. Those are the three I know. Uh, yeah, though, because that was for... Raikkonen got one for holding up for Stappen in traffic. Mazepin 
because Mazepin, I guess. Um, I can't, well, we didn't see him in the whole race. Literally, I saw him at the start and that was it. And then he finished. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well done. Um, yeah, that was it. Yeah, sure. Why not? But look, let's start off with, um, let's start with Red Bull, seeing as they won today. Uh, Max Verstappen started on pole, won the race in brilliant fashion. Um, Chantel, let you do the honours. Uh, how many stars are you going to give to Verstappen? And I will ask, I know it's hard given the circumstances and where your allegiances lie, but um, how would you rate his weekend? I'll be a good sports person. Yeah. And I will say he won the race and he got pole, so he will have five. Fair enough. And uh, Sergio Perez, who started in third and finished in third. I'm going to give Sergio Perez five because he raced the whole race with no water. Yes, that is a very good point. And it was hot. Yeah, yeah. Sergio did not have the drink, so I certainly hope someone gave him a real. Because I saw him afterwards, and he was in absolute pieces. And I thought, wow, that I would not envy him, especially in like thirty odd degree heat air temperature in the cockpit. You probably double that, and you're trying to drive a Formula One car and not crash at everything else. It's incredible. So yeah, no, I enjoyed this on podium. Yeah, five stars. I'm going to be harsh and give four and a half for Perez only because um, even though Max won the race today, I think Red Bull would have appreciated if Perez was more of a factor to help his teammate um, not necessarily beat Lewis, but try and make it harder for Lewis to beat Max today. But uh, that's the only reason I'm going to give him four and a half. If they want that to happen, they should make sure their driver can have a drink. Well, that could be the key difference. Perhaps that was why today he didn't have the drink, so he doesn't get the five-star performance out of Perez. But... uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go four and a half. A little bit harsh, but given what Max did today, I think comparable five-star for Max as well. Courtney, how are you going to rate Red Bull today? Yeah, I'm going to give uh, I'm going to give Max four and a half. I thought, I thought he was a little bit naughty at the start. That's just my opinion. I thought he was a bit naughty at the start. So that's why he's not getting a five. Apart from that, he drove phenomenally. But yeah, I'm going to knock, I'm going to knock that off a little bit because of the naughty start. Um, Sergio Perez, again, I'm going to give him... I'm going to give him four and a half. I think he's really struggled in qualifying this season and he put in probably one of the best, one of his best qualifying performances and that, I think that will give him encouragement for the rest of the season. So I think he'll be particularly pleased with his Saturday performance, but maybe wishing for a little bit more on Sunday. No, fair enough. Um, I mean, I personally thought the start was aggressive, but I wasn't expecting anything less. I don't think it was too aggressive. I think if too aggressive is like just pelting into Lewis Hamilton. But I think he gave Lewis just about enough room into turn one and Lewis was always going to get ahead of him at that point. I mean, Chanta, what did you think? I know you're listening My to Courtney. Face, I think, says yeah. it all. No, I mean, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how pushing someone into the pit, like, you know, the exit, pit exit, <laughs> is, uh, is, is not overly aggressive. But alas, the steward said there was no investigation necessary, so we'll we'll, we'll leave it at that. That's fair enough. I mean, for me, as long as he's not forcing Lewis off the road or causing an accident, then that's fair enough. But it wasn't quite out the Schumacher playbook for anyone that used to remember Michael starts when he dart right over the left. But well, well, I did almost say it was Schumacher-esque to me. I think the the, the delay from the move over, he sort of waited a second. Schumacher would park his car at like a 45 degree Mm. angle, like I'm going to straight for Hakkinen in the old days. And Mika was always a bit too wily for that. But yeah, no, fair enough. Um, Okay. Mercedes, Hamilton, of course, starting second, getting second, despite that good start, getting the early lead and so narrowly missing out on the result today. How would you rate his weekend? I mean, four and a half because he didn't win. 
Yeah, and Valtteri Bottas <laughs> qualified fourth, of course, starting ninth and finishing in sixth today. Three. Oh, you think he could have done He's more today? Standards. Yeah, I would say I'd give him back stuck, three and a half. He was stuck behind yeah. people for a lot of the race that he should have been able to take. Yeah, no, that's fair On enough. Paper. Yeah. I mean, now that you've said it, I was going to be generous to Valtteri, but now that you've said three stars, I'm going to go somewhere in the middle and go three and a half on him. I mean, I agree with Lewis, four and a half, you know, did a good job, but didn't win. So that's difference. And uh, yeah, if Valtteri, perhaps if he qualified a little bit better, it might have given him a better chance, but he did get bogged down. Again, you, you do get these races sometimes with Valtteri Bottas where he can be incredibly good, but fighting his way through traffic... I know the Mercedes has hallmarks of a car that struggles to follow others, but Bottas really does struggle sometimes to overtake drivers that he should be overtaking, like Sonoda for a while. Carlos Sainz, if it wasn't for the damage, he wouldn't have overtook him. Um, so, yeah, it was a strange one, and perhaps he could have got more out of it today. But, yeah, I'd say three and a half stars. Courtney, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to copy you, Adam. Four and a half for Lewis, three and a half for Bottas. Yeah. Um, I think we'll see better performances from Bottas. I just think going into this weekend with uh, knowing he's going to get a penalty, that can sometimes knock the motivation, particularly when you don't really have much to race for mm. anymore for the rest of the season. Well, it's his third new ICE in the last mm. four races. I mean, that's that's a worrying sign for Mercedes, whichever way you want to put on it. And he's done relatively well, Valtteri, but this weekend probably could have been a bit more out of him, even if he wasn't going to be affecting the battle at the front between Max and Lewis. Um, let's go to Ferrari, Charles Leclerc. Qualified P5, technically, although he started P4 and finished in P4. Not relatively bothered. He got away from the McLarens and he was fairly close to Perez at the end of the race. Well, I'm going to give him four and a half. I'm going to give Leclerc a four and a half and I'm going to give Carlos Sainz. I'm going to give Sainz four. I think, yeah, Leclerc, Leclerc was one of the standout drivers from this race, actually. You know, despite despite the fact that he wasn't in contention for the win, I think sometimes it's easy to forget some of the star drivers. And I think Leclerc was Leclerc was one of the stars today. Um, with Carlos Sainz, did a decent job. Just a little bit clumsy with Daniel Ricciardo, I felt. So that's why I'm going to knock him down to four stars. Yeah, I agree with that. Could have been P5 for Sainz. Yeah, we all agree all round. Four for Sainz yeah. and four and a half. Yeah, we don't need to go into why. I think Courtney's pretty much summed it perfectly. And uh, I'll go on for ages if I do. So yeah, let's move on to Ricardo and Norris. Um, Ricardo finishing in fifth place today. He qualified, I think it was qualified seventh and then started in sixth. And uh, Lando Norris started in, uh, what was it? I think it was it eighth place he started? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, no, sorry, it was seventh behind Ricardo and ended up in P8. So how would you rate McLaren today, Chantel? I'm going to give Ricardo four and a half for entertainment value. And I'm going to give Norris a three. For non-entertainment value. That's a pretty good way of putting it, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ricardo gets an extra half a star for entertainment value, but even then, that would be underselling it. So uh, four and a half, definitely for Ricardo. I think he did really well today. Won the battle with signs. Only reason why he doesn't get a five is because he didn't beat Leclerc, really. And, and Although Leclerc was in a bit of his league of his own. Lando, three and a half. Um, his qualifying was okay-ish. Um, he did qualify behind his teammate. Hasn't been in the groove, as you said, Courtney, since Soshi and today in the race, other than at the first lap, he was nowhere compared to the other three and was beaten by Bottas as well. So three and a half for Lando. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think with Lando, um, the reason 
why we have knocked his score down is because actually we expect a lot more from him now. Mm. He's, he's set the bar that we know he's capable of. So when he doesn't reach that, you know, that's that's the reaction you're going to get. I have no doubt he'll get back up to that level where he'll be in a position to hopefully compete for podiums, wins, and hopefully in the future world championship. I have no doubt he's capable of doing it. But the last couple of races, he hasn't been at his usual high standards. So that's why I'm going to knock his score down. Yeah, um, and we talk about these guys a lot, these young drivers coming through, Chantel, and Lando Norris this season in particular has emerged as one of the potential leading contenders for the championships and race wins of the future after Lewis Hamilton does decide to call it a day, whenever that will be. Um, do you, would you share that sentiment with Lando Norris in particular? And who else would you think would be up there with him other than the obvious answers like Verstappen and Leclerc that we expect to lead the way? Who else alongside Lando do you reckon would be up there? I think you've got Russell. Um, obviously, it's going to be up there. But I think, as sad as, I, as sad as it is, I think Danny Rick, maybe not. It's really sad for me to say because I really like Danny Rick, but just don't see him up there. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's something about him that just wins everybody over. I think it's, you know, the wearing the cowboy ensemble and everything else, the, the really... Um, Work in progress, I suppose, American accent. He's been trying to develop all weekend and show off and just that, the yeah, the attitude that he has, he just wins so many people over. But in terms of competing for championships, unless Zach Brown promises a tattoo on his bare ass with Daniel Ricciardo or a honey badger, I just, yeah, I agree. I, I'd be surprised if it happens, but let's hope, shall we? Why not? Um, let's go to Alpha Tauri. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda, he qualified in, I think it was, yeah, so he qualified P10. Q3 appearance for the second race in a row, so he did really well. And uh, he ended up finishing P9 today. So uh, what would you give his rating out of five stars? I'm going to give him four and a half. You know, considering... Because, you know, the way that we spoke about Lando and a high standard that, that, you know, that that he sets and then we expect, I think at the same time, we've actually been very critical and rightly so of some of Sonoda's performances earlier on in the season. And the fact that he's made an improvement, I think it needs to be credited at the same time. I think, you know, you talk about consistency, so you need to be consistent with how you react to how the drivers are performing. And he's improved in the last couple of races, so good on him. So that's why I'm going to give him a higher rating. I'm going to give Gadsley free, not in a horrible way, but just because he didn't really have a chance to really showcase his talent this weekend. You know, yet again, he put in, he, he always put in a decent performance when he's able to, but he just had a few gremlins, so unfortunately he couldn't really do much. Yeah, and I understand. Um, I mean, I'd give Sonoda a... I'd give him, give him a four and a half. I've been quite harsh on Yuki Sonoda, and I've wanted him to do better, but I'm going to give him a four and a half. I think he did very well this weekend. Had some good battles, he stuck in there, and he got a great result, got some points for the team. Much needed points in this championship where... You know, Aston Martin only scored one, and Alpine didn't score at all this weekend. Both cars retiring. Gasly, I'll give him a four for his qualifying performance because he qualified uh, in P9, um, started P8, of course, because of Bottas' penalty, but he was the best of the rest outside the top four teams in qualifying. So he did the best job he could do. I didn't think the Alpha Tower, he had a chance, even in Gasly's hands, to break into that top four rows of the grid. It was, they were just too good for them. Um, but as you said, he had that problem. He just wasn't able to have a proper go at it in the race. Um, how about you, Chantel? What are you giving Sonoda and Gasly for their performances this weekend? Um, Sonoda, I will give a four just for really well, like holding up people really well. Um, 
I'm going to be honest, I, I would find it hard to rate anyone else in the pack. Hmm. Because for me, the rest, the rest, other than Fernando and Giovinazzi and Raikkonen, they just don't have enough coverage or enough. They bare, barely. So, so little coverage. It'd be really hard to say, like, they performed well or there was something spectacular. So I find it really hard to rate the rest of them, if I'm going to be completely honest. No, um, yes, fair. Uh, but, yeah, so I would, I would definitely rate them. I don't know, but Gasly, I mean... He didn't really get to do anything. Yeah. No, no, it's fair enough. <laughs> just went I mean, round the track. <laughs> I mean, usually we just rate him on their qualifying because he retired quite early in the race, Pierre Gasly, because he had that problem, obviously, uh, with his car before the race started and there were doubts whether he was going to start. And then, of course, when he did, it did seem to be a recurrence of that issue that he was having. So it kind of robbed us of an opportunity to see how he was going to get on today. But qualifying, he, he did a good job. So sometimes you just only have to rate him on what you can do sometimes. That's just how it goes. But... Uh, that's fair enough. I, I think there are a few in particular that I don't think we're going to give too many ratings to. I mean, Fernando Alonso qualifying um, was kind of irrelevant for him because of the penalties he had to take. And in the race, he was a bit messy and then he ended up retiring at the end. So I suppose you could not give him a low score, but in the end, it doesn't really matter because, you know, he just, he was in with a shout of points, I believe, this weekend, but he just had problems and that was it. And the same for Esteban Ocon. So perhaps we'll skip them. Um, we can. Did, I mean, I don't think I saw Ocon's car. No, wrong. no. It, well, we saw Ocon's car when it was retiring. We yeah. saw, well, Ocon did get caught up in an incident with Latifi uh, as well at the start. Oh yeah, oh, start. I think Latifi yeah. Also yeah. And so. Latifi had spun Stroll around as well to the two Canadian drivers. So um, yeah, and yet somehow you know it, that's just how it goes. Sometimes um, Stroll ended up. I think it. Where did Stroll? P twelve was it? Yeah, P twelve. Did see Stroll? We saw the accident that Stroll was involved no, with. No, the only coverage I saw of Stroll was that he'd got a checkered flag. Uh, oh, yeah. Black and white flag. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and he got spun <laughs> around by Latifi. That was it. No, I absolutely understand. So, I mean, it's a weird one with Stroll because he qualified 13, finished 12. I mean, you can give that any rating you want. Um, but I'll Alf- give him a star because he, he finished the race. Okay, well, what about Alfa Romeo, though? Because this is a curious one. And Courtney... We all know who finishes 11th, usually an Alfa Romeo, but they were nearly in the points today. Kimi Raikkonen uh, yeah. was in P10, and then and Giovinazzi was in P12 as well, and Raikkonen just lost it in the S's area. I mean, what have those guys you know, got to do to get a point? Do you know what, though? I think with Giovinazzi, it's, he's actually... He actually did something. Well, I think like the first time this season, he actually did something. And you know what? Maybe it's because he's fighting for his seat. But I thought, finally, finally, there's actually some kind of personality and character from Alfa Romeo. Because I've been very vocal about how much they actually bore me as a team. They actually bore me as a team. I just got Alfa Romeo. Well, I, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm not as, I'm not as damning. <laughs> I'm not as damning to, to the lesser teams as, as you are. But... Um... Oh, I think the pair of them, again, I actually knew that they were racing. So that says a lot more than any of the remaining yeah. cars that were on the track, to be perfectly honest. So yeah. I'll give them a couple of stars each. I mean, we saw Mick Schumacher at the end of the race and very nearly gave Lewis the opportunity to oh, yeah. um, oh, catch yeah. up to Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, four and a half stars just for that. Yeah, I don't think Verstappen fans would necessarily agree, but it's one of those where we'll never know, really, because uh, Max was able to hold on. And Mazepin... Actually, uh, Max uh, got a DRS benefit. Oh, yeah. Take, yeah I'll take it, did, back. take it back. Well, you know, 
Mick giveth, Mick taketh, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> Mazepin was a weird one because, I'll be honest with you guys, for all we know, he could still be driving around that circuit. I, I, I forgot he was even on the start line. Like, I didn't see him at the start because, obviously, I'm not looking for Mazepin. I'm looking further up the field to see Max and Lewis, but... Um... Imagine being that person that's looking for Mazepin no, at the start. No, but actually, you know what? And I really don't want to come across as damning because I could not do half as what, what any of those could do. No, no. Right? However... There was something to be said about the coverage. <laughs> and um, it's really, you know, at the end of the day, they are just not getting the coverage compared to, what, six or seven, six mm. or seven drivers get the coverage. And the rest, you just have no clue what's going on unless they... Well, Carlos signs bless him. He doesn't get any. Mm. Well, we know why that is, don't we? I mean, he's getting more of it now because... You can't pan the camera. Well, yeah, because you can't pan the camera away from him because he's always in the action somewhere at the upper ends of the field. So it's like by proxy of uh, giving coverage to the McLarens, Signs has got to get coverage too because he's there, right there with them. Um, but yeah, it's really, really strange that I'll be. You're absolutely right, Chantel. It's a weird thing with Formula One at the moment that we hardly get any coverage of anyone outside the top ten unless there's something really interesting going on. Um, purely and simply because. The, the interest of the fans and the broadcasters is what's going on at the front because we saw today a cat and mouse race between Lewis and Max and even though no overtake happened between the two of them other than at the very beginning of the race, everybody's enthralled and glued in because you're constantly watching them, you're watching every corner they go through, you're watching the lap time counters and the, the, you know, the time difference between the two, the gap getting smaller and smaller and you're thinking, is Lewis going to do it? And yet, all of a sudden, 15, 20 minutes have passed you by, the race is over, and you've completely forgotten that Mazepin was driving around. He may still be out there. Someone I mean, might need to call Russell him in. I think, that's why, I think that's why he holds people up. Because that, that's, that's how he gets coverage. Well, we didn't even see He's that today. We didn't even see that today. because We saw <laughs> the other Huss, didn't we? Like Apparently, yeah. he was driving around. His transponder was going around somewhere. I don't know if it was him. But, I mean, did Russell, yeah. did Russell race today? See, well, yeah, that's probably Russell's most quiet weekend all season, I'd say. I, mean, I he don't made, know what happened there. He did started he at the back. Him? Yeah, so he started at the back of the oh. grid because um, he was dead last, wasn't he? Um, and he made up, I think it was six places off the start. And uh, conveniently, oh, wow. finished in 14. I know, amazing. I saw Russell there. I was busy watching like Lewis pass Max, and I thought, hold on, Russell's made up six places into turn one. How on earth has he done that? We don't know. We just have to believe the transponder that said he moved up to 14th, and conveniently, that's where he finished. So next season's yeah. going to be interesting with them two, with him and Lewis. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, how, how do you feel about that, Chantel? Do you think George is ready for this opportunity? Or, or what are you expecting from George at Mercedes? Do you think he's going to be a good teammate for Lewis or do you think he's going to be there to take over? I think I think Lewis knows what's happening. He's there, isn't he? It's a bit like he's he's holding a torch. He's about to pass the torch on. It's it's a it's a defining moment. It's a it's a change of era. It's it's going to be very interesting because you've got someone you're racing against your idol and you're in the same car. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't even, I can't even work out how mm. that would be. I mean, was Fernando Lewis's idol? I mean, uh, I, I mean, the, the age difference. Yeah, there? exactly. I mean, there would be an element of respect there because he was a double world champion in 2007. Mm. But I think, it's just, it's just going to be. I think it's going to be interesting, particularly for British fans, because you know, you when when you sort of look at for the Brits, it's like can't they both win? Obviously, they can't. It's just going to be 
if Mercedes and Red Bull, so say we go to next season and Mercedes and Red Bull are in a similar level competitiveness, it's really going to kick off because they're going to have to pick somebody to beat Max. So if, say, for example, Lewis starts slowly and mm. George Russell has a decent point all, what do Mercedes do? I'd have to do what, what McLaren had to do with Alonso and Lewis. Mm. Let them go at it and just hope that the, the views come in. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. The fans yeah, always would be great. That. It would be great for the sport, I think. Yeah, they'll just put the blueprint and say, let's look at what happened before when we let Rosberg and Lewis go at each other. Let's not do that. Um, and let's see how it just goes. But, you know, that's just how it goes. With someone like George Russell, I would not expect anything less from him. And I sincerely hope that we don't get that. And I sincerely hope that Lewis is not prepared to let him have it all his own way or pass the torch so easily. I want George to take it from him. But equally, I want Lewis to stop George from doing that. That's the only way you're going to get a great fight between them. Hopefully not to Mercedes' detriment, which allows a free ride to someone like a Red Bull or a Ferrari or a McLaren. Anyway, because we don't want that. We want everyone to fight for exactly. it. Exactly. Um well, I think that's, we could probably wrap it up then. Um, I mean, it's quite late, guys. I don't want to keep you too long. And um, But no, that, that was really, really good. Chantel, thank you so much for joining us. Um, hope you enjoyed that. We usually have a lot of fun on these podcasts. I hope you did too. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. And uh, yeah, Courtney, unless there's anything else you wanted to add uh, before we sign off? Oh, I'm, uh, another interesting race. Um, just, I've just got mixed feelings about the rest of the season. I hope my heart is right and my head is wrong. That's what I'm going to say on the matter. All, I can, all you can take from that is that it should be a good finale, whichever way it goes down, because at this point, none of us really know what's going to happen. We all hope to some degree of what's going to happen. Um, but until it happens, we we'll just have to wait and see. That's what we love about the sport. Incidentally, guys, of course, let us know what you thought about this weekend's race. Did you enjoy the result? Did you feel that Max Verstappen did an incredible job? Or did you feel that Lewis was just a little bit unlucky not to have a bit more time to get Max? Um, let us know about other thoughts throughout the rest of the field. If you did incidentally watch coverage of some of the other drivers that we didn't really get to see much on the British broadcast. That's just how it goes. If you're watching on F1 TV, let us know what you thought of their performances, particularly uh, from 11th down to 19th, because it didn't really give them a star rating because we didn't see much of them. Um, but of course, if you are listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to leave us a review. If you can, we'd really appreciate that. Preferably a good one. But of course, if you're not happy with it, let us know why and we'll try and make it better for you. And of course, if you are following us on YouTube, make sure to like the video if you enjoyed it and subscribe to the channel as well. But until next time, guys, we have been DNF1 and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.